Welcome, everyone, into the Hyper Time, the Hyper Time 2 podcast, and we are back for another episode that is probably going to be shorter than most, but we won't know for sure until we're done. Um, And to help me with this episode, as always, is my friend and co-host, Alan Muir. Alan, how are you? Uh, You know, when we first started doing this, and we were going back to the golden age of comics. I thought, oh, man, I want I want to live here. And I think it's just nostalgia, like heavy, a heavy dose of nostalgia glasses because I, I didn't, I did not like the uh, listeners. You can see the, you can see the title of the episode. So you could probably tell that I didn't, I didn't like it. Even, even <laughs> though I'm, I'm Mr. D, or, even though I'm the, the DC person. Yeah. I, Honestly, I'm not really too familiar with a lot of Silver Age books. Every one I've read, I want to like it because they're kind of over the top and goofy. But they're also very... What's a good way to put this? Hmm. There's just something about it where it almost seems too easy for all of their problems to be solved. Where it's like, well, I don't really have an answer, so I'm just going to throw something against the wall and I'm going to make it make it stick regardless of how stupid it sounds. Specifically with Brave and the Bold 28, what I found was that I did not realize that there was one character in it that debuted in this as well. That might be up there in the running for my most hated character. I think I, think I know who you're talking about. I think you know who it is. My is, God, is, is is the last name a the name of a vehicle? Sure is. First, it's Johnny Thunder. First, Johnny Thunder. Now, Snapper Car. And they're like two different sorts of just insufferable human beings. Like Johnny's just kind of one of those characters who's like, I'm going to constantly get into trouble because I don't think anything ahead, and I'm going to bust into my girlfriend's house without her <laughs> letting me do it and all this and snapper is just i don't know kind of a dimwit and he's very cheesy very cheesy and i we'll we'll get to him <laughs> i i will say this uh they did there were two different way different interpretations of snapper car over the past five 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 six years <laughs> um there was the young justice version which I actually really like because it's him. It's like it's him totally leaning into the type of character he is. And then there's the there's the I think Supergirl season three version where he was a hard, hard boiled detective, not detective, um, journalist at uh, Cadco Media. Who is supposed to be like the the new cat grant to uh, Kara. Hmm. It's the, the the two interpretations are completely like two completely different characters. Like one is Snapper Car, and one has just ha- happens to share the name Snapper Car. 
Yeah, I only have one memory of Snapper Car, and I'm. It's been a while since I've read it, but it was during Final Crisis. I want to say it was the Resist one shot, and it was basically him, um, getting it on with Cheetah. I'm like, I don't understand this pairing whatsoever, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Well, who who wrote that issue? That issue. Oh, Ruckus, who's in my head, but I could be completely wrong on there. Because, like, for every, for every, um, now, now I'm forgetting the name of the, uh, the Rogue, the the Flash centered, um, the Flash one. I think Rogues Rogues Rebellion. Rogues Revenge. Rogues Revenge. And I, I can't wait till we do an episode of the Blackest Night. Yeah, at some point I want to get through like all of the event books, especially in DC because I I love their event books. Blackest Night, Final Crisis, Underworld Unleashed, all of that. I want to touch on all of them. And the funny thing about Final Crisis, I own the Omn- the Omnibus, and I don't think I'm ever going to read it. Oh no! Why not? Uh, I just it's too intimidating. <laughs> okay, yeah, uh Greg Rucka wrote wrote the issue. Okay, that's what I thought. And it I mean I I imagine it was a good experience for readers. I remember liking like all of Rucka's tie-ins to that series, whether it was uh, Revelations or Resist. I can't remember if he did submit to. Uh what was which one was it where um the funeral for Martian Manhunter? Oh, uh, Requiem. I think that was Tomasi, if I remember right. It may have also been written by several people, as far as I remember. <laughs> yeah, it was written by, yeah, Tomasi. And that book was fantastic. Seeing that Doug Menke penciled it, I think I have to read it on on uh, DC Universe. You should. Requiem was uh, was fantastic. Um. There's actually a very touching scene at the very end of it that had me uh, had me choking up a little bit. So, and uh, before we actually get into the episode, there's a moment I think is from Blackest Night, but I don't remember actually reading it. Or when I last time I read Blackest Night, I didn't re- I didn't see the the scene. Um, Barry and and Hal are um, like this particular particular panel. When Black Lantern, Martian Manhunter, like dr- tr- tries to drop a building on them, saying, "Did you forget I was them as powerful as Superman?" <laughs> I, I know that that panel exists. I just, I, j- I just cannot find it in the in the the uh, trade. Hmm. I'm trying to think, of, could it possibly be one of the like one shots or whatever? Or like the tie-in issues that has them fighting. Oh, yep, this is it. Green Lantern number forty-four. Yes, yeah, yeah, I found it. Like I found the panel. Okay, yeah. good. I'm not. I'm not crazy. You're not crazy. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and get Brave and Bold twenty-eight. Uh, that, this shows how much I, I, how much I, do did not like this issue because I'm, <laughs> I'm willing to talk about anything other than this issue. <laughs> Well, fortunately for you, it should be pretty quick. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, we started recording 
you would think that the very first appearance of the Justice League would be something better recorded in terms of, you know, history in general. And surprisingly, I could find almost nothing about it. I literally have just like basically two paragraphs of the kind of how it started and then just a few things of random trivia and everything else is just talking about the story, which kind of baffles me how little is out there to find. Um, But it's also like a good reminder for myself that like this is kind of why I wanted to do the whole podcast is because stuff like this seems to slip through the cracks. And, you know, things like this need to be remembered. And I'm really shocked so much of (laughs) some of these stories aren't Um, as good as they're made out to be. Yeah. Like if this is really one of the most impactful stories in DC history, I think you would find a bit more about it, but I don't think the issue has like the found the found founding members. I don't think Superman or Batman showed up at all during the during the last like the big fight. I don't think they did if I remember right. It's I think they were both busy with something else. And I'm pretty sure Wonder Woman wasn't there as well. No, Wonder Woman was part of it. I remember her doing something with the building and the invisible jet, if I remember right. It's been like three months since I read this and took notes. I could could totally be misremembering, but for some reason, I think her and Martian Manhunter like teamed up for part of it. Oh, and I don't know if you, uh, how did you read the issue? The issue? Uh, I can't remember if I did it on um, DC Universe or if I went through a different site. Oh yeah, the the the, the friendly site that we the, use when we can't find the actual like we want to go historically in depth. Yes. As yeah, much I, as I so, would love to be able to say I can go out and buy this issue with no problems. <laughs> Cuz I was okay. also wondering if this was you know, with a lot of the golden age stuff, it's like, okay, we're going to have this story, but it's 68 pages and the story that's the biggest part is only 12 pages and so there's a whole lot, a lot of random other stories that no one's going to remember or talk about. <laughs> but this was just a, just a normal comic issue. So I was kind of, kind of happy about that. Cause I was not wanting to talk about some of the other stories that we have had to in the past. Oh, man, that I'm, I don't know why it still, still sticks out to me, but the, um, that's the fish. I want to say fisherman from uh, amazing fantasy. The, Lighthouse dude? No, it's not, not the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. I think it was the lighthouse bell ringer. Guy. Yeah, it was the 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 character that we kind of made more for him, made more for that character <laughs> than the than Marvel comics. Yeah, hopefully he's in this uh, Eternals m- movie. <laughs> I should go back and re-listen to that episode. That's, that that's one of my favorite episodes we've done. I love I love that episode. But yeah. Brave and the Bold, um, it originally was an anthology book, and it would tell the stories of characters from a bygone age, such as Robin Hood or Silent Night. Uh, But in issue 25, DC decided that it had to reinvent the book a little bit and instead allow it to tell stories featuring brand new characters or even different concepts using those characters. Uh, This would end up spawning new iterations of Hawkman. It would lead to the creation of the Suicide Squad and... Most importantly, uh, what this podcast is about today, the Justice League. 
you know, the Silver Age was already underway a few years prior. Uh, they brought back Golden Age Flash um, and kind of having the Justice League sort of revamping the Justice Society of America idea. It kind of revitalized hero comics even more so that they kind of were in desperate need of at the you know end of the 50s, beginning of the 60s. Characters like Flash and Green Lantern helped lead this resurgent, and so the thought became clear over at DC that a team book needs to come back too. Now, when I was looking for it, I kind of had like two different stories said, and neither of them were really in-depth. It was just a who did what first, essentially. Um, so I saw that it was either Julius Schwartz, uh, brought Gardner Fox, and Mike Sikowski on uh, with the idea to create the JSA-inspired Justice League, or after they were brought on, Gardner Fox was the one who came up with the idea. Um, but in the end, they were just trying to revamp that JSA idea in a way, but they wanted to do it under a new name that had more pop to it. And so being inspired by the NFL and the MLB, they decided to run with the name Justice League of America. Um, Schwartz, in particular, kind of had a note in his biography, Man of Two Worlds, which... If I had the time and the money, I would have searched it down and read to see if there was anything else <laughs> about this issue in there. Um, but about this, he says, When I took it upon myself to Silver Age, the Golden Age, Justice Society of America, I changed the name to the Justice League of America. I didn't like the Justice Society because it sounded too much like a club name, uh, like High Society or something. Society was such a quiet word, and the readers were more familiar with League from the National League and the American League. Uh, before, um, I just, because you said that, like I don't know why, but Secret Origin, like the D the DC Comics documentary that I always make sure to mention, mm -hmm. because it just it just speaks to me on so many levels. I think it was Dwayne McDuffie who who basically just said. He called, he, he'd be referred, he said the Just League was basically the Kiwanis Club with <laughs> Wonder Woman as their, as their uh, secretary. And this, this was, uh, like, I don't think this, this is meant to help people realize how, what DC was like in the, during the bad years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know when I was looking it up for, what was it, All-Star, no, yeah, it was All-Star Comics 8, I think it was. That had the uh, introduction of Wonder Woman. It was, if I if I remember right, they had said that yeah, she was brought into the Justice Society, but shortly afterwards, the people who were in charge of writing the book didn't know what to do with Wonder Woman, so they did make her the secretary until God, I can't, I can't remember who it was. Maybe Gardner Fox. I would hate to say for sure without <laughs> having that in front of me. But yeah, at some point, a writer came on and was like, she needs to be doing something more than just sitting behind a desk. Was it Marston? It, it may have been Marston. Just, it's just such a... Of course, that's how the women were treated back then. Like, Despite her being such a iconic character and an important character, you know, at that time, especially for, you know, young girls and women, it's just... Do something more with Wonder Woman for crying out loud. <laughs> Come on.
Brave and the Bold, um, the story itself, it was written by Gardner Fox, penciled by Mike Sikowski. Inkers uh, were Bernard Sachs, um, Joe Gaella, and Murphy Anderson. Uh, letters by Gaspar Saladino and editor Julius Schwartz. And so it was foes of evil, enemies of injustice to the mighty heroes of the Justice League of America. All wrongdoing is a menace to be stamped out, whether it comes from outer space, from the watery depths of the seven seas or springs full blown into the minds of men banded together to fight all heroes of humanity. The mightiest heroes of our time battled the menace of Starro the Conqueror, which was also Starro's first appearance as well. And so, yeah, just kind of getting into the story. Well, let's make this quick because, yeah, it wasn't super exciting. <laughs> or memorable. Or well, memorable, I mean, really. Or ten, I mean, from a, from a historical standpoint, it was memorable, but I don't think it was to people. If, I think I think we've been spoiled by, by modern comics. Mm, this would very much feel like a lackluster filler issue <laughs> if someone were to write it today. It's just kind of... Okay, yeah. <laughs> so we see a full-page spread uh, showcasing different head bubbles of the heroes, including two who may as well not even have shown up in the issue, uh, with red and white flag stripes behind them all, and a giant starro smack dab in the middle. Easy way to let you know right from the get-go who the villain is and who the heroes are they are going to try and stop him. Uh, it begins with Aquaman swimming around before his friend Peter the Pufferfish, uh, speaks to him about a giant starfish that had came from the stars and into the ocean. <laughs> There's some nice pufferfish trivia about how they float upside down after inflating themselves with air. And I'm guessing, again, I read this like three months ago, so I don't remember the panel in depth really all that much. Um, I'm guessing that was how he noticed where Starro came from. Uh, but yeah, Peter follows the starfish and learns that he is Starro and watches him transform three ordinary starfish, because they are distant relatives of him, obviously, into bizarro starros of sorts. They look the same. These starfish grow in size. They change in look. All of that to basically look exactly like Starro, which I don't remember him doing at all in the last several <laughs> decades. And so Aquaman knows that, oh no, Starro's a threat because he's made a few more of himself, I guess. And so he reaches out to the Justice League, which shows the group was already formed, although this was their first appearance. I don't, yeah. So I take it this wasn't their actual first adventure, but it's at least their first published adventure. And so the next few pages are the leaguers hearing the signal Aquaman has put out. Uh, Wonder Woman is being proposed to by Steve Trevor which sounds like it isn't the first time. And she denies him yet again because she must eradicate crime and injustice or whatever 60s hippy-dippy crime-fighting motif heroes had at that time. Uh, she flies off in her quote-unquote robot plane, which is just the invisible jet, though it makes me wonder when that name took hold, if they were calling it robot plane at that time. And then from there... It moves over to Superman and Superman's doing Superman things. He's out in space, punching meteors. Uh, there's a ton of them hanging to earth and he can't be distracted by Aquaman's call. 
um, because he's afraid meteors will get by him and hit Earth, cause massive damage, all that sort of stuff. So he's like, I'll just let them know in a little bit that I can't help. <laughs> so that's Superman being written out of the adventure, which is very familiar to what happened in that first Justice Society <laughs> story that we had talked about. Uh, we see Hal Jordan. He is in an aircraft which was designed to fly around the world in 24 hours. And upon hearing the call, he changes into Green Lantern and wills the craft to finish the trek across the world. And he'll double back once he's done with whatever Aquaman's calling him for. And then Batman. Uh, we see he is busy in Gotham. Two of his villains have teamed up, which they don't say who. And he can't be distracted from their threat in his city. And poof, Batman's written out of the story as well. Uh, Flash is stopping a tornado. When he receives the call, he quickly blows it out by using counterwinds and heads out towards Aquaman. Uh, John Jones is given time for a vacation from his police chief, um, but he shifts over to his Martian Manhunter guys, um, which I don't know if they actually call him Martian Manhunter in the story or not. Um, I call him Martian Manhunter in my notes, but for some I, I reason... Think, I think he... <laughs> He mentioned he he calls himself the Martian Manhunter. Mm, maybe I really should wait and read these before I record. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually uh, that's what I did when like the day before we were supposed to record this. Oh, like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, they all get together. Aquaman briefs them about Starro. And Flash, being the chairman, gives everyone their marching orders to take out the three Starro knockoffs that are doing the bidding of the real one. Aquaman decides that he's going to be the one to uh, keep an eye out for Starro um, to prevent him from creating even more of these starfish knockoffs. Um, and then from there, we see all the different adventures the heroes are going on to stop them. Um so Green Lantern begins as one Starro troop is attacking an Air Force jet that's carrying an atom bomb. Um, I'll call this Starfish Bizarro Starro number one. He wraps himself around the jet and doesn't seem to react to being shot by any weapons used against it and breaks in using a tentacle and steals the bomb. The plane starts to go down. Green Lantern uses a ramp to guide the plane to safety before following Bizarro Starro number one. As he approaches, the bomb goes off, and GL protects himself in a bubble. However, he notices Bizarro Starro number one, absorbing the energy from the explosion. And once it's safe to leave the bubble, he rushes in uh, and dodges a beam of energy that emits from one tentacle, and that almost hits him. Which, again, I maybe people are just focusing in on his, you know, the mind control aspect of Starro in recent years because half the stuff that he's doing here, I did not know he could actually do. <laughs> and honestly, uh, I've mentioned this book before, but ha have you read uh just league? No, ju no justice. Uh, I don't know if I actually uh, read no justice. Okay. So uh, Scott Snyder wrote it. It was, it was sort of like the beginning of the road of like, the Just League Dark, Just League, um, Just League Odyssey, and Just League, simply that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Starro appeared, and a part of Starro got cut off, and it became its own sentient being. Mm 
known as Jaro. So that's where Jaro came from. Yeah, and there's a great, really, really great um, uh, panel of I keep forgetting which, like because I it's been I haven't I'm like I'll, I'll be honest I've it's been I've been I haven't been reading a lot li- lately. Me neither. <laughs> um, there was a panel where, okay, so it was, I think it was the twentieth issue of, uh, Justice League, that, and it's basically, Batman is chasing down Deathstroke, on a Gotham City rooftop, and starts losing his breath and calling out to Robin for help, and Robin does help, and it's. Jaro in a, in a Robin costume, <laughs> saying like with it with the word balloon, saying "On it, Dad." <laughs> and maybe the greatest like comic book panel I've ever read. <laughs> or no, it was a it was the greatest page in comics history. I feel like in recent years there's been like uh more and more like cute characters. Especially like kind of more animal based ones, like what is it, Jeff the Land Shark over at Marvel? I think so. That's just like a little puppy, but it's a shark. <laughs> That's absolutely adorable too. It's just, oh, I love it. I love this uh, so much. And like the thing is, uh, Jaro, he's not only wearing the Robin costume, but he's got a, a cape on too. <laughs> and he just like just darts right into uh, Deathstroke and he, and he goes Deathstroke? More like Death Joke, am I right? <laughs> and I'm going to share the uh, the image in the Facebook chat because I think everyone needs to see it. I have for it. There it is. Okay, I have seen this panel. I probably saw it online somewhere because I know I haven't read the issue. Yeah, it, it was one of the things that went viral. <laughs> it's just and the, it's the name Jaro is literally because it's only because or it only has a name because it was a piece of sorrow that was kept in a jar hence the name Jaro <laughs> and he has a big moment in is it death metal yeah yeah is that the last we see of him I haven't been keeping up with more current stuff too much I haven't either because Honestly, DC could have just folded up after, like they could have just ended their comics after uh, Death Metal, and I would have been happy <laughs> because that, I don't think there'll ever be a better end to DC continuity than uh, Death Metal. Jaro, like it, it says that he was, it wasn't known what happened to him after uh, Death Metal, and there's a um, another panel where it's. Jaro in a uh, prison outfit, <laughs> breaking uh, cement, and he goes. <laughs> Batman goes, "Hey, kid!" And Jaro just goes, "Dead." Again, this shows how much I don't. I I don't like this issue. <laughs> that I'm bring I'm bringing up more modern stuff. I'll see. This issue would have been more interesting had there been more Jaro in it. And I still can't believe it. It was. It took multiple decades for this to happen. And ironically, because it was Scott Snyder of all people who who did it. 
Green Lantern shows how OP he was back in the day by hitting Bizarro Starro number one with a beam from his ring. And he was able to will Starro to lose both power and size. <laughs> so ultimately it causes uh, this Starro to revert back to its normal form, um, which is basically just a regular old dried up starfish that Green Lantern's holding in two fingers. Then from there, they move over to Wonder Woman, Manhunter from Main Hunter from Mars, I think is what they end up calling. Yeah. Uh, as they close in on Bizarro Starro number two, who is attacking the Hall of Science in Science City. Uh, the starfish wraps himself around the Hall of Science, propels it into the air, hoping to steal the brain power of everyone inside. And this Starro, unlike the previous one, actually talks. And so both heroes fly after it. And as Main Hunter flies into the atmosphere to find something, Wonder Woman tries lassoing one of the tentacles only to be surprised by how strong it is. It pulls her off her plane and onto the Hall of Science. Uh, using remnants of the crushed meteors by Superman, Manhunter is able to direct the pieces using his super breath to hit Starro. Uh, this scares him and Starro starts flying off with the Hall of Science in tow. But because of the speed, one of the wooden window panes catches on fire, which... We all know Martian Manhunter is not uh, crazy for. Uh, So as soon as he glimpses some storm clouds in the distance, he uses those lungs of his to suck in the air and pull the clouds closer. Um, This causes the fire to go out once the rain hits it. Um, Down in Africa? Down in Africa. Oh, now I need to listen to that song. (laughs) Go out giving Manhunter his strength again and just in time because Bizarro Starro number two fires some rays from its tentacles. Wonder Woman throws up her gauntlets in time and because they are made of Amazonium, which God, I love that term. Amazonium. (laughs) The rays bounce right off. Uh, Manhunter has to be quick, so he pulls up some lead from the roof to block the shot. Wonder Woman's robot plane flies by again, and she uses her lasso to grab hold of it and steadying herself on the building. She has the plane rocket off as fast as possible, trying to pull Bizarro Starro number two's grip loose. Uh, It does work, uh, and trying to buy Wonder Woman some time, Manhunter rushes in, only to be grabbed by the tentacles. Wonder Woman sets the building down safely, though noting the people inside are in suspended animation and should be okay before rejoining Manhunter in the fight. Uh, the foe seems to be growing weaker, and as Wonder Woman and Manhunter struggle against it, the fish falls and lands away from the city defeated. Then next... Uh, <laughs> yep, it's him. It's time. Uh, so next is Flash, and this is where we are introduced to Snapper Carr, who is speaking as if he's a hipster, about the lawn he just mowed as his family comes out of their house in a trance. He follows them, and soon after, neighbors um, as well, and they all go to a location where Bizarro Star number three is, and noticing that his powers of mind control doesn't seem to be working on Snapper, which at this point I just assumed was because Snapper sucks and (laughs) is stupid. Uh, but Bizarro Starro number three fires off a beam towards him only to be rescued by the flash. And I have a note here that reading snappers dialogue is rough, 
reads like a parody. When asked why he isn't affected, Snapper replies, I don't know, Flash. Man, I'm bugged. I'm really swinging, casting orbs on you like this, Flash. Like I'm having a happy mare. You dig? <sighs> God, I hate this character so much. <laughs> Like, as a person, I think I hate Johnny Thunder more. But dialogue-wise, I think Snapper's by far the worst. (laughs) If they were to do, like, some sort of fusion dance, it would be a nightmare come true. And so doing what any normal person would do when confronted by an individual like Snapper, Flash speeds off and avoids other blasts from Bizarro Starro number three. Flash races around the fish, which gets him caught in a spinning loop, which makes the Starro look for water to hide in, thinking Flash wouldn't be able to stop him, but Flash has other plans. Following him to the land of water, Flash uses his feet to cast vibrations into the ground and part the water as if he was Moses. The first guess of where Bizarro Star number three is and finds nothing, but he keeps doing it until he locates the Starro. Once he does, he stops vibrating his foot, which causes the water to come crashing back down on the giant starfish with pile driver force. Uh, Snapper finds Flash. uh, Poor Flash. uh, Just snapping his little fingers away, and Flash helps get him back to his family, who have come out of their trance. Since his family were linked with Bizarro Star number three, they knew where the original star was in Happy Harbor. Okay, we're getting, to the, we're getting to the funny part. <laughs> so Snapper has to detail why he is called uh, Snapper. And so why does Snapper snap? He tells Flash uh, when Flash informs him that Snapper will join them to find out why he was immune to the mind control effect. Uh, he says, you hear these fingers snapping, Flash? That's my way of showing I like something. That's why the cats around here call me Snapper. So stupid. The worst. The worst character. My. Okay, so mm. um, yeah, so I found a Snapper car on Supergirl, and it's really <laughs> like the actor playing him who was really great on on Cougar Town. As you can tell by the thumbnail, Snapper's been through some uh, been through some stuff. That, that that's not Snapper Car. That's not him. Uh, well, he... <laughs> I just oh god, I hate I hate this character so much. Finally, the Justice League. Uh, Starro lays out his plans. Each Bizarro Starro was transferring what they were after to one another. Uh, so the first that absorbed the atom bomb energy that went to Bizarro Star number two. Then the knowledge from that one transferred over into number three. Then the information it learned from the third was that it could mind control humans. And so using that knowledge, he will mind control humans to detonate all the bombs on the planet. Star will then absorb all of that energy and use it to travel to other worlds. All of this was essentially a test to make sure he could achieve universal domination. Uh, Seems a little convoluted, but for Starro, it's exactly what he needed to learn um so justice league is now all together they rush in to stop him uh, green lantern takes the lead thinking his power ring will stop it but Starro reaches out and connects with his mind and learns the weakness to yellow somehow Starro turns to yellow knowing this weakness 
just another thing that Starro can do just because they need him to do something. Um, during this fight, Starro fires off another tentacle beam and misses Flash, but it hits Snapper. Unfortunately, it doesn't do anything. I was really hoping it would evaporate him or something, but no. Uh, Flash has Green Lantern check over Snapper to see if there's something a spectroscope can find. Um, while Wonder Woman and Manhunter kind of keep Starro busy. Uh, Green Lantern catches calcium oxide and lime on Snapper um, because Snapper used it while mowing, apparently. And so the heroes gather all those materials from a nearby farm because, of course, they do. Um, and they say that they'll pay the farmers for the used materials. Um, and then also a chemical warehouse, and they dump it all over Starro. This causes Starro to be captured in a shell of lime that is impossible to escape. And that is how they defeat Starro. And so very much, very much like Justice Society of America, um, they give someone an honorary membership. And this is now Snapper Car, thanks to his complete uselessness outside of using something to mow a lawn. Uh, but Snapper will be okay with possibly heating a future JLA call. And... <laughs> mm. and so what does snapper say when they ask him if he would be available he says my fingers are saying it for me flash god i hate snapper car <laughs> <laughs> and that's it that's how the issue ends with snapper snapping away because he's so happy apparently um i sent you a a, a different take on snapper car <laughs> Even his shirt says snap. <laughs> My god. <laughs> you know, I've, I notice a lot of similarities between this and that Justice Society issue they all got together. Um, both Batman and Superman completely non-existent in this issue for the most part. Couldn't be bothered to join the team. You had an awful character like Johnny Thunder be involved who gains honorary membership. And this one has Snapper Carr, who is a awful human as well. And he gains membership. I have good news, though. What is that? Pretty sure. I don't, I've not seen Snap like Snapper Carr. Um, it's been quite a while for Snapper Carr. Like, yeah, I'm pulling up the Wikipedia page and see <laughs> when the last time he was used. Because whenever it was, it was far too soon. Well, let's see here. Uh, yeah, definitely far sooner than it should have been. Uh, looks like 2019 and Dial H for Hero. Actually, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that because... Uh, have you read Dial H? I have not. It is actually perhaps the greatest... Like, it's, it's not going to have another season. Because apparently that's what DC does with their books now. They just have seasons. Yeah. Um, Dial H, uh, Sam Humphreys, and Joe Kinonis. The writing is good, is great. The art is even better. It was part of the uh, Wonder Comics uh, line. Hmm. And then the the DC bloodbath happened uh, last year when a bunch of books were canceled. A bunch of people, a lot of staff were fired. Were fired. 
or let go, and when things were looking the absolute worst for DC. I've mainly gone digital with comics, but Dial H was one of the things I just had to get. So for random trivia, like I mentioned, uh, this was the first appearance of the Justice Justice League of America, Star of the Conqueror, and unfortunately, Snapper Car. The book was clearly a success. I cannot talk much like the Justice Society was decades before, uh, so much so that it featured the team two more times before it had its own book less than a year later, uh, when most books were still anthologies. And Marvel would demand a similar thing from one of its longtime writers and some nobody named Stan Lee, which is kind of where the Fantastic Four idea came from. Uh, Funny enough, Stan Lee would also create his own Justice League at DC in his Just Imagine series much further down the road. Um, And that's something I would like to check out at some point as well for this podcast. The highest value the comic has received was in 2004 when a 9.4 CGC grade was sold uh, for $370,000. Although they would be brought up throughout the Justice League interactions, Superman and Batman rarely appeared in the team books. Uh, During this time frame, superheroes weren't being widely published by DC Comics, and the ones that were were mostly Batman and Superman books. The Batman and Superman editors at the time thought that including them in the books would dilute the popularity of said characters and omitted them from being heavily used in an effort to prop up the less popular characters. This would change when the Batman editors took over the team book and especially after the Adam West Batman show took off. So while this is the first official JLA story, this wasn't the origin story. Uh, That wouldn't be told until Justice League of America number nine in 1962, which is like two or three years after this story. Uh, This would revolve around aliens coming to Earth to start a war, and each hero would be dealing with a separate alien. Then this would lead them all to arrive at one alien and be where the team up began. Uh, They would also go find the last alien uh, who at that point was fighting with Superman and Batman. So it sounds like much like in that issue, Superman and Batman were pretty absent up until the end. It it kind of reminds me of the pilot episodes of Justice League. Oh, mm-hmm. where it's it's pretty much that plot, like <laughs> like the aliens are the aliens are the White Martians, like coming to Earth to literally start a war and destroy everything. The only thing that wasn't really there was are they. They kind of did an, like a flipping on it on, on its head with Batman and Superman being the first two. Yeah, I feel like usually if there's like some sort of threat, they try and ride out all the characters that would possibly stop them the easiest. <laughs> Superman, Batman, oh, Spectre can't, you know, can't keep him in there. Any magic user got to find something to keep them busy. <laughs> it's just Green Lanterns. Uh, So while Starro has appeared many times in the animated series, uh, he has made two live-action appearances. Uh, The first is obviously being the most recent uh, in the Suicide Squad movie, which I have yet to see, so I don't even know how well that was pulled off. It is is so damn good. (laughs) I did try and get in there with like HBO Max or whatever, but apparently the trial version I had does not include like new movies. So I wasn't able to watch it. 
So at some point, I'm just going to have to buy the movie and, and watch it that way. Yeah, like there's a scene with uh, Ratcatcher 1 and, Ratca- and his daughter, Ratcatcher 2. And it may be the greatest message that James Gunn has ever written in hmm. a film. It's it's literally a f- not even five minutes long. And it's, it's also literally at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, Ratcatcher seemed to be the... Uh... Like one of the most beloved characters from that film. Yeah, outside of that, the the movie, uh, there was also a short-lived DC show called Powerless, where Starro had a very short cameo in the pilot episode. I don't remember anything about Powerless. I quickly looked it up. After oh I man, saw I, that. Love, I love Powerless. You did? What was it about? Yeah. Okay, so it's basically damage control. Okay, that's what vibe I was getting when I was reading like the Wikipedia page or whatever. They had um I think I saw like uh, Vanessa, Vanessa Hudgens and Ron Funches. Ron and... Funches, Alan Tudyk. Hmm. Which is just amazing how many how many DC related <laughs> properties he's been in. He's just been in so many. Um and they had Alan Tudyk be the they had him play a character called Van Wayne <laughs> who was the cousin of Bruce Wayne. Jeez. And they actually got, they had a, they had the, um, I don't know if he's still alive. The actor who played, uh, Jimmy Olsen and the Richard Donner Superman film. Hmm. They had him playing, uh, Vanessa Hudgens dad, like her character's father. Hmm. And honestly, it was, it was bad, but it was good, bad. Was it more of a comedy? Yeah, it was very much a sort of sitcom comedy. Hmm. I'm going to have to go back and see if I can find those episodes. It sounded interesting, but I'm surprised it didn't they, last very long, so I wasn't uh, sure how good it was. They they actually referenced Van Wayne, like some Arrowverse show. <laughs> which I do like that they sort of keep it interconnected, like with literally everything. <laughs> and then the last thing I have here, um, there is a sequel of sorts to the story that takes place in Adventure Comics 451, which actually happens in 1977. And so in that, Aquaman runs into Starro the Conqueror again. Um, but this Starro informs Aquaman that the original Starro left a piece of himself hidden on the planet in the case he would fail um, in taking it over. Um, However, this little piece didn't have the power to do so until the pollution in the water was able to make it strong enough to do so. Um, So just a reminder, don't pollute. It's bad. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I read that as pollution is bad people. (laughs) Not not. I forgot the comma there. (laughs) Don't pollute people. It's bad. Yeah, I read that as I literally read that as pollution means bad people. Like Which is kind of true. Ginger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I have for Brave and the Bold 28. Surprisingly kind of kind of boring. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things where I don't know what I'm getting myself into until well after I start looking into it. <laughs> and then do I really want to just give up all the time I've spent looking into it or just kind of roll with it? Unless there's something else you want to add, Alan, we can just head out into the outro. Well, there there was a 
there was, I mean, Marvel did have their own version of the Justice League in the form of the Squadron Supreme. Mm-hmm. And I really want to do an episode on, on that, on, on that, on that, those characters. I think we could do that. They debuted literally fif- over 50 years ago. 1971. And I, I remember when after, I want to say, um, Secret Wars, there was, they were hyping up the return of Squ- Squadron Supreme. I think James Robinson was writing it, which makes sense. But yeah, it was, it was still, it was, it's still a great concept. I honestly know next to nothing about them, so I'll have to read up on that and check them out. They were more of where Justice League was more of a like primary colors comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Squadron Supreme was de- was straight up superhero deconstruction. Hmm. So maybe I'll see if I can get that in for next season. Oh God, we're doing seasons now too. <laughs> it's the easiest way for me to kind of. <laughs> Keep everything going. As always, if you like what you hear, spread the word of the podcast, uh, rate, review, uh, share with your friends, uh, post it on forums, Twitter, basically just get the word out there. Show us some love. Show people that it's a podcast worth listening to. All that sort of stuff. Follow us on Twitter at our Hypertime, whatever you call Twitter thing, accounts. <laughs> so yeah, follow Hypertime on Twitter at HypertimePod. Uh, if you have questions, topic suggestions, anything like that, feel free to post them there. Uh, send me a DM. Just at me, whatever. I'll see it. Um, I also have a email address at hypertime, the number two podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have video game content you can check out as well. Um, our website, vgu.tv, has a bunch of that stuff there. Um, the VGU Twitter is at VGU underscore TV. Um, if you care about podcasts, um, if you want to listen to more video game podcasts in particular, uh, there is a podcast called Players Club Podcast, which Alan is on. Um, and then the other one is Win, which is the week in news, which, surprise, surprise, Alan is on as well. <laughs> He's on everything. Okay, I can I can actually make this sound much better. Sure. This is your show. Players Club is Emmett's show. And Win is my show. But you're the only one that's on all of them. Yes, I am the. You're uh, on basically Phil the, the only one that's on more than one. Period. I'm the, I'm the Phil Coulson <laughs> of the VGU <laughs> Podcast Network. <laughs> and then Win also has a Twitter account you can follow at VGU Win Pod. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel VGU.TV. Actually, it's just VGU TV there. Um, don't be com- just. Don't get confused with the other, the two other <laughs> VGU ones. The original one, the one that was something else originally, and yeah, this one, or the one we're referring to. If you see current stuff going up, that's the one you want to subscribe to. Because <laughs> I, I can't imagine anything's being posted on those other ones. But something is always being put on our YouTube channel. 
then my own personal Twitter, you can follow me at. It's jmillie99. That's J-M-I-L-L-E-9-9. And Alan, where all can they follow you at? Uh, they can follow me at the Alamir. That's the A-L-L-A-N-M-U-I-R. And do you have a... Alan's Tweet of the Bye Week month <laughs> for us? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty on brand for me. Uh, I would love to see a Back for Blood style Star Trek game where you play as Klingons during the, quote, Great Tribble Hunt. That is very on brand for you. <laughs> yeah, because I was watching um, Trials and Tribulations and then uh, Worf, uh, the, the DS9 classic episode. And uh, Worf mentions the plague of the Tribbles and how they how they were an enemy of the of the Klingon Empire. <laughs> and just a thought into my mind of, I really want to see a Left 4 Dead style game, like the Ewok horde mode or survival mode in Battlefront 2, <laughs> but with Tribbles. And you're playing as Klingons, destroying Tribbles. Yeah, I'm kind of actually surprised that we don't see more like Star Trek games in general. It's not like it's a <laughs> a niche kind of show or anything it is what it is i guess and then one last thing before we go um this will probably drop like the second week of november but we are gonna have one more episode this month i don't want to say what it's gonna be about yet but i do want to just give you a heads up that there will be another one um and i don't remember if i said this alan but i I told you what the topic was going to be, right? Yeah, we're going to have a special, a special guest on. Yes, we will have a special guest. Um, I was actually thinking that maybe um, after you know our next season or whatever, um, maybe kind of do more of kind of like that format for the month. Like do one episode that's more like this sort of episode, you know, where we take like one issue in particular and do it. And then the second episode for the month, we'll do more. Oh, so of... like alternating. Yeah. Styles. That way yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Be as stressed as getting stuff done. And that kind of leaves kind of another more fun episode for the month as well. That's kind of more chill and just kind of, just kind of chat with different things. But I think that's kind of what I plan on doing. Yeah, later the, next the year. The ironic thing is that on my bed is my uh, Superman Blue Volume 1 comic, mm-hmm. our trade paperback. Still shrink-wrapped. <laughs> because I think that was the original plan. Yeah, I have it done. It is done. That'll probably be one of the next few ones we do. I try to think. I think I have like... I don't know. I'd have to double-check, but I know for sure that one's finished and ready to go. I think I have one more... That is pretty much done. I could watch the animated movie if I want to. Maybe. I don't know. And then one, I just need to read it and take notes on that. And that one will be done. And after that, I really need to catch up or I may just stop and <laughs> call it a call it a season. Because this one's been rough. Uh, but yeah, that's it. That's everything for today. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, With that, we will bid you all adieu, and we will see you further down the hyper time. Take care, everyone. Bye.
This has been a VGU.TV production. For all of the hottest hot takes and other opinions on video games, music, and a lot more, tune in to VGU.TV.